innovative, dynamic, gritty, determined, warrior. This podcast is about the innovators, the leaders on the front lines of adversity, the all-around good people doing good deeds. They are the civic warriors of the world. Our guests are the leaders in the nonprofit industry affecting change. They try, they fail, they overcome. Through their stories, we can join forces to become civic warriors. So with us today, I'm really excited about this one. So we have uh, John Alston with us, he goes by Jay. So your story is a little interesting, which I like. So you started an organization with your sister and a couple of your friends called Four Little Souls. So I want to get into that a little bit. I'm, I'm really intrigued, you know, the background. So why? I mean, you started this organization in 2002. How old were you when this, when this all started? I was about 10 years old. And we started it because we are heavily in the church. We do a lot of church community service and events. And um, both my parents grew up in the projects in New York City. My mom came from Puerto Rico, and my dad's family's from South Carolina. So growing up, neither of them had many resources or money. They grew up pretty poor. And um, throughout the years, my dad's a CPA as well. He owns his own firm, and he does pretty well for us, so I've never experienced living in poverty or anything, but my parents have talked a lot about it, and a lot of our family still lives in pretty not too great financial uh, living in New York City, Philly. So we like to help out young people, so that's why we called it Four Little Souls. Uh, there's four of us, and we like to do stuff for little souls. So that's why we called it that. That's perfect. I mean, it's great. It's really interesting to me. So you have you were 10 at the time. Your sister was 12, right? Yeah. Your friends were 11. You came to your dad, so I think, does it help that your dad is an accountant that kind of yeah. said, all right, hey, Dad, we want to we wanna do this? How did that all transpire, and how did you get the supply I assume he kind of helped you get this rolling yeah definitely he works with mainly nonprofits. so when we told him the ideas that we wanted to help people he's like so why don't you make it a nonprofit?" and we were young we didn't know what that meant but we were like okay yeah, yeah most kids yeah. most kids at the age of 10 are like where do i get my ice cream from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. not so, like how do i start a nonprofit to help people <laughs> so that's awesome yeah, yeah yeah so we thought of it like oh we're starting a business basically and it's a nonprofit. so after our dad gave us that good advice we were like yeah so over the years it's definitely been growing a little bit uh we haven't been putting too much in the growth as much as we just like to help people. So we all have full-time jobs. My sister's in master's. She's doing her master's at Columbia. Uh, Our two friends, they work in the city. So we're all over the place, but we do still find time every month to meet, uh, do events, raise money for all benefiting young young youth. So That's, that's amazing to have such a mission to see where you can go if you just have the right support and the right knowledge and um so so tell me a little bit when when you have these events and you know the the proceeds that you raise what exactly is the organization doing with with these funds uh we do um food drives clothing drives um coat drives 
we, we give back around Christmas time to families that can't afford uh, presents for their kids because we know we never went a Christmas without gifts, but my parents, sure. when they were young, they did. So we like to give back to kids around Thanksgiving time. We do between like 10 and 15 families. We give them Thanksgiving dinners. So we do back to school drives, many different things to help youth that don't really have the economic means to get basic needs. What geographic area do you concentrate in? I mean, are you focused in an area or are you more focused towards, uh, you know, specific individuals? Like, how does, how does one find out about you, right? Um, a lot of our networking is word of mouth and mm -hmm. people we know. And since we're heavily in our church, our church is pretty big. There's mm -hmm. like 5,000 members. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that 5,000? Yeah. Wow, that's, that mm -hmm. is a big church. Yeah. So, our word gets spread a lot through there. And then from there, a lot of Facebook, Instagram, and that's just how people find out about us word of mouth. We um, like to run programs and like events that we do year over year. So, people get excited and they look forward to it. And every year, it just grows a little more. So, what type of events do you do? Like, what, what's a what's a fun one? You have a good a good fun one you guys do, or a good uh, uh, you know engaging one that you. A lot of the ladies like pocketbook bingo. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a great one. Yeah. Oh, Always a great one. Pocketbook, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Do, you, do you get like pocketbooks and things that donated, or do you, yeah, we um we have some connections where we got a lot donated, and then we do buy some, but a, a lot of the stuff we get is donated. So it's pocketbooks, and then there's also like gift baskets that we fill with different things and we have other people donate those. So this year there was like a hundred and something gift baskets and like 90 pocketbooks. And they're all like nice pocketbooks. Yeah. yeah, I have a client that does that, that does a, a pocket and they get they get uh, designers to donate a lot mm -hmm. of uh, designer bags and that. And that is, you know, I, I'm, I'm the minority in that room of, of male versus, it's like, it's like 1% males in that, yeah. like, in that event, <laughs> which is awesome because, you know, you get, you, you know, people are really, really excited about that. They like, are. My wife, my wife went, she won, she won a bag this year, which she was ecstatic. She was like, you know, cause just, you know. Yeah. Can never have enough. You can no. never have enough pocket. No. And but, accessory. but it's awesome because, <laughs> because people, you know, you're able to get those as donations. So there's no cost to you yeah. to actually hold the event. People walk away with something on top of walking away knowing that they gave money to a good cause yes. and they got something. But, exactly. but for the most part, they you know they walk away knowing that that they donated to you, which mm -hmm. is really cool. And all of those proceeds we give to scholarships for people. Oh, yeah. that's great. Mm -hmm. So how do how do you find the individuals that you're giving to? Is it through the church? So I, I know you said it's word of mouth, right? So mm -hmm. is it the congregation shares with their local schools with their and how do you go through that scholarship program too I'm kind of curious um, we ha we get applications so uh -huh. we send them out through people to our church and then we allow people to send it to people they know and after we get the applications we just look through them and we have a selection process and then we try to for the most applicants we try to give at least 100 to 250 for every applicant, but we do wow. give higher ones for. And are most of these for for uh, for post high school? Yes. So mm -hmm. I can't think of the word. There's a word for it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say extracurricular, but post secondary education. Yes. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what that, that was the technical word I was looking for. Cool. And and typically speaking, how many how many applicants do you get a year? Um, last year. 
probably about 90, around 90 last year. Oh, we wow. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So that means that, that, you know, and every small, I mean, anybody that's gone through college knows in 2019 that college is expensive and, you know, uh, regardless of scholarships out there, every scholarship you get is important, especially one yeah. where, uh, you know, a no-strings-attached scholarship in the sense that, you know, there's not, uh, you don't have to pay it back. You know, there's not a lot of the federal loan requirements, like, you know, yeah. to, to keep a Pell Grant, you got to do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's awesome. So that means you touch 90 lives a year. Through scholarships. Uh, through scholarships yeah. mm-hmm. by doing just general fundraising. And if you put that in perspective, like, that's incredible. Like, yeah. most people, even on some of these larger agencies, don't necessarily even do that. And you do that with limited resources. You know, you and your family members have full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing this on the side and still managing to, to engage and to, to really to help. So, yeah, kudos. That's incredible. Yeah, and it feels good because parents come to you like, you covered our kids' books for the whole semester. Well, yeah, exactly. It feels good. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like you, you know, just you help someone pay for something that they would not have been able to do. You made someone's life less stressful. Yeah. Uh, you know, with that with that charitable focus. Yeah. Do you find that you have so the individuals you've been doing this for quite some time now, seventeen years, if my math is correct? Um, yeah. The scholarships we started probably five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So. so through those five years, you know, you're starting to see kids coming out of college. Are you finding mm-hmm. that anyone is kind of giving back and like paying it forward? You know, hey, I, yeah. I appreciate you helped me out. Now I'm in a position where I can I can kind of help someone else out. Are you finding that you're building this contingency of, of yeah. future donors? Uh, some of them come and they help us as volunteers. Some of uh, them give donations. So yeah. It, you do see people come back after, and they're, like, really thankful for it because they see that you help them out, and they want to help others, so yeah. it's great. That's amazing to see that grow and, and just come full circle for you, and, and like you said, word of mouth. So it's not only are you sharing it through your congregations and the people you know now that you're having these 90 individuals, let's say, every year, yeah. compounded over five yeah. years. I mean, that's a huge growth for your mission and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah I think it's... <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, and, and because you're in, uh, you know, I think a lot of the individuals are probably members of your church, members members there, so, uh, you know, when they're back from college, you're probably seeing them more often, you know, mm-hmm. you've seen them every, every, you know, every weekend, probably, yeah. uh, you know, and I, and I bet some of them, too, which which I know that, the, you know, for myself, I always got a good feeling, you know, people probably look up to you, people always say, that like, like, they're doing great things, like, they're actually carrying out what, you know, what our religion teaches us to do, but they're yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot to talk about it, but it's hard to do it. Yes. You know, and, and things are simple. And what I'm curious about: how hard was it to just start a nonprofit? Like, was it? You know, you got to go through all the paperwork. You got to get some legal documents in order. You know, you do have some help because your dad's a CPA. Yeah. So, so you know. my dad took care of most of that, and then my mom did a lot of the financial side, getting okay. the bank account started and all that. So we did have help. And yep. that was great, and it also taught us a lot. So, yeah, but it, it's good. To, you know, it's important to know no one no one starts anything without help. Yeah. Anybody that thinks that they can do these things alone is 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 not going about it the right way yeah. because you need help. You need people that can that can guide you through the process that you know can help you avoid some of the the challenges, especially with like the, the beginning process when you get into filing all that paperwork it's daunting there's a lot of questions there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that you need to answer Um, and a lot of times like the the way you answer that actually dictates what you can and can't do and I think a lot of people don't always consider that in the beginning so lucky for you you had some help there but 
uh, you know, for the for other people out there. I know I've helped a few people, and even myself, I look at some of these questions. I'm like, how do you answer that? <laughs> yeah. or, or or it's we're so new. I don't know what it's going to turn into. Like it's it's a vague. Well, we might do this. We might do that. But it depends on where the money comes from. It depends on how we're going to you know get there. So that's pretty cool, though. Definitely, uh, definitely pretty cool. So. You know, you you've been doing this for a long time. You're a very active member, uh, very active member in your church, large church. Uh, and then you join. You go you go through college. Where did you go to school? I went to St. John's University in Queens. Oh, St. John's, awesome, yeah. awesome. What made you be an accounting major? So my dad's a CPA. Um, initially, I didn't want anything to do with accounting. Yep. So <laughs> <laughs> and then. In high school, I had a business intro to business class, and that was like my favorite teacher. She's like, I teach accounting, so you should take that too. So I took it. I took three years of accounting with her, and then my senior year, I did a senior practicum where I ran the school business store, school bookstore, and I also taught accounting one. So I helped her teach that class. You helped her teach a class while you were in school? Yeah, I was a senior, <laughs> and I taught. Man, yeah. the plot thickens. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so yeah. after that, I was like, accounting doesn't seem too hard. So I was like, might as well just do accounting then. Took accounting in college, and here I am. And that's it? Yeah. Now you're an accountant. Mm-hmm. And that's funny because, yeah, like, my wife and I are both CPAs, and and I'm like, I know our kid's going to be like, absolutely not. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be like, like, I don't know, a hot dog truck vendor or something because yeah. he's gonna, he sees like the nonsense that is, that is accounting and, you know, it's, some of it's boring, some of it's exciting, some of it you're on the road, some of it you're yeah. not, all over the place. But mm-hmm. that's interesting that it actually, the, your, one of your bigger influences was, was a teacher. Yes. Which... Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because that I think most people overlook that that a lot you know the, the teachers of the world are actually such a huge influence on a lot of people how they get to where they need to go and, definitely um, you know and then you're finding that too so you taught a class I bet you learn more by being the teacher of the class than you did by being in the class yes because you got to be on point yeah yeah so how did you so so you're a natural teacher based on that now you're in a now you're in a public accounting firm how do you carry that on and you know do you find that 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 you can carry that on, that like the teaching aspects to now the next generation? It did come in handy because you know that they're not going to get it right away, but you also know to take your time and like explain them through it. And then you also teach them tricks that they wouldn't have known unless somebody told them. So the teaching aspect, it does help a lot, even in the professional world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, and, and you've been here, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure in your, your couple of years here, too, you've had some people internally that have, that have you know, taught you things, and, yeah. and you, you kind of pass. I know I know myself, I always kind of had uh, um, someone above me that would always, you know, people would always teach you things, people would always, always guide you in the right way, and, and some of that you need that, and some of that you need to go through the fire yourself, yeah. because people can tell you all you want, but until there's a real problem... And we all learn from emergencies and problems, yeah. <laughs> which there's no lack of that in a deadline-driven world. Uh, yeah, you, you, you don't get that until you really run through it yourself. But, but knowing that, that there's someone there that can help you, I think, is, is, is a great aspect. Yeah, so that's cool. So, so you, work on, you work on a lot of not-for-profits now. Uh, you know, what, what made you, outside of everything we talked about, what made you want to do that? What made you want to kind of you know, commit a little bit to, I want to do a little more of this work and a little, bit, a little less of that work? Um. What drew me to working on nonprofit is 
I like seeing how they run, like different businesses run. Mm -hmm. And since I'm heavily into the nonprofit world, I kind of like to see how nonprofits run. And it's also brought me to a little bit of real estate where they do like new communities and other organizations where they're nonprofits and real estate companies. Yeah, they're low-income housing developers and mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Like HUD and different things. So I kind of like how it brought me to a different field that I like too because I like real estate a lot now too. Mm-hmm. And you can bring both together. So the nonprofit, it just flows with my life a lot. Yeah. And I get it more than for-profit. Yep. Are you finding some of those principles so now that you're working on these organizations and you have your own organization, are you applying any of those principles, business functions, event planning, because you're seeing the whole scope of how these organizations run, mm-hmm. um, into your own specific organization? Yes. Uh, so for golf outings, I noticed that when I started working here, almost every nonprofit has a golf outing. So I've been talking about, I want to get one going, and my dad has a nonprofit as well where he teaches churches um, how to do bookkeeping and stuff. Well, so great. we're going to partner and have a nonprofit golfing event. Nice. Yeah, so the bigger so. question is, do you and your dad know how to golf? Um, <laughs> my dad knows how to golf way better than I do. Okay. Um, I just started a couple of years ago. I'm getting better. All right. As long as the ball gets down the green. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> yeah, on it. Yeah, you're just whacking away at a ball with a tire iron, I mean, at that point. <laughs> Yeah, it's all for charity. Yeah, yeah, that's what I tell myself afterwards. I'm like, this was just for charity. This was not for my own enjoyment. Yeah, Yeah, I'm working on that aspect. Yeah. What you could do, uh, the charity I'm with, uh, we we work somewhat in that that quasi-real estate market. We connect developers with uh, nonprofit agencies to build housing for homeless. And, uh, you know, we've been going through the golf outing route a few times. And every year we've actually tried a different type of golf outing. Mm -hmm. And, and here's, the, here's the weird part. So one year, <clears throat> one year we did a real golf outing. We kind of broke even, didn't really make, we actually lost money. The next year we said, you know what, we're gonna, we'll try Top Golf, right? Mm-hmm. Great success for a golf outing because less people have to know how to golf to go. You get more engagement from different, you know, typically speaking, um, you know, there's, there's the golfer crowd and the non-golfer crowd. And golf outings cater to the golfer crowd, not the non-golfer crowd. Uh, you know, wh- whoever that may be, and and then you go hold that like a top golf, and it's like a bowling alley, right? Everybody has a beer, everybody can play. If you don't want to play, you can just stop at any time. Yeah. And it's only a couple, it's only two hours or whatever it is you're in a bay, as opposed to a golf outing, which could be eight hours of your day. That's so, a great idea. Yeah, I never so, thought about that. Actually. There you go. See, mm-hmm. just embodying wisdom. Yeah. And so we've been we did that success. Next year we said, yeah, let's try something else. We just keep trying other things. Mm-hmm. Next year we did mini golf. Uh, mini golf was okay. Didn't do as good as top golf, but we we did. It was not expensive because we actually had the mini golf place donate it. So mm-hmm. they, they donated the time and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to say donate the land, but they donated the use of the space. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of nine ninety terms. Right? <laughs> donated use of space. Um, they donated to us, and so you know that, that worked. We got some people. We had like a little dance. We had a, a karaoke machine, all that stuff. So that was fun. Um, and then this year we did a traditional golf outing again, but because we those couple of years we got more of a contact base, like a networking base. Our golf outing this year, traditional one, was actually successful. We actually had a lot more sponsors. We had a lot more people. Uh, and if there's anything you learn, sponsorships are where you make your money with golf outings. Yes. You don't make your money off participation. Mm-hmm. You only lose money. 
on participation if you don't get enough people. Yeah, good luck with that because it's fun. It's, I'm gonna it's, think about doing the Top Golf one. That's it's fun. Oh, you should. You absolutely should. Yeah, if you have a Top Golf near you, you can get people to go. Um, they're good. You know, Top. They make it very easy for you. And I'm not not promoting Top Golf from a <laughs> sponsorship perspective. We're not mm-hmm. sponsored by Top Golf, but we had a good experience there, and, and they made it easy for us to to go. <laughs> I listened to some of these, and they they, they interject with sponsors. That, that sounded just like, <laughs> <laughs> You're like no, 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 no. like that. No, we're not. You know, we're not we're not paid independently by anybody. We're uh, we're charitable. We do this for free. Uh, yeah, but that's cool though. Yeah, good luck with that. Cause that'll, oh, that'll, thank you. Yeah. So you know, I want to get back to. So you started this organization. Um, is there any gap that you see through the congregation with with ages, right? Generation generationally. Uh, when I was younger, there was definitely a lot younger people in church, and these days, I think it's a lot less. So it's mainly grown ups that attend church these days, and the children that come. Their parents like force them to come, so I mean, so, it, it definitely dropped off a lot. I, it probably hasn't opinion. changed over time. I mean, I think parents usually force force kids. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. That. But 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 kind of the bigger picture, you know, do you see a lot of a lot of uh, like people in their twenties? I think that's good to mm-hmm. me. That's a tell all. Like, do you see a lot of people in their twenties, and do you see a change over time of that? Like, people in their twenties in you know in church or in religious. It has definitely dropped off a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's dropped every year I think it just drops even more and you're you're there what do you think contributes to you being you know why do you want to be there and, and you know um, I go because I enjoy it I've been going for my whole life um, it's normal for me now yep. and after I leave church I just feel like I'm in a better mood mm-hmm. so that contributes to a lot uh, my grandfather's a pastor and my okay. dad actually is a pastor as well. So he went to New Brunswick Seminary. Oh, okay. He went to yeah. the Theological Seminary? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, so. yeah, we're always trying to find, you know, how to how to how do you engage the how do you engage the next generation? You know, how do you how do you get the next generation to be like you or to want that? You know, because I think I don't think there's anyone in the world that once they go they don't feel that way. I think it's how do you how do you become a catalyst get people there? I think that's a lot of life too. A lot of life is it's not necessarily that people don't have the ideas. It's not necessarily that people don't enjoy things. It's that people don't have like that fire to like do it or to make it happen. I think younger people like a different type of environment where it's not you have to dress nicer to go to church. Like I've been to some like I guess you could call them more modern churches, and everyone wears jeans and like t-shirts, and they they're singing. It's like a rock concert almost. So in those churches, I have seen a lot more younger people around my age. So that's interesting. Really interesting, actually. I don't know if Heather has the same thought I have, but... Yeah, I mean, you see it, right? So, you know, I look at it, I I grew up in church as well, and um, I think it's just, you know, it's with anything, right? You have this, this... Shift in yeah. what's expected. I think you work at the work. You look at the workplace, even. You know now. You know our company, along with many other companies, have dress for your day. You see this more casual, but the principles yeah. are still the same. So, I I think it's interesting, right? You, you have to kind of switch switch how you're engaging with these different demographics. And I'm seeing this stare from Brad, and I'm like, I'm curious where he's going with this, but. Um, perfect example you know we spoke with someone yesterday who's talking about engaging and finding new talent for her her organization it's not necessarily the same way that you go about that nonprofits did 
15 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, yeah. and even with your organization, Jay, you, you know, you said that you have social media as your biggest presence. Mm-hmm. Website actually is not huge for you, probably too, because you guys have full-time jobs and yeah. the upkeep with that and everything, but it, it's how are you engaging with these people to keep them coming back? Yeah. For more. So I you know, I'll it's a change in, it's a change in dynamic, but the real challenge is that is that you're now catering to both parties. So so what is that so what does that do? So now we've now we've changed the dynamic, right? But now people that are historically traditional, I don't call them traditional, you wear a suit to church, you wear you know, you you're there 15 minutes before, you leave 15 minutes after, you have you know donuts afterwards, and now you have a new generation that gets there five minutes late, that wants to wear jeans there, that wants to sing, not sit down and stand up, and sit down and stand up. They want to be engaged the whole time. You have to cater to both. And they want shorter services as well. Th- that's what I mean. So yeah. they, want, they want their attention, whether their attention span is less or not, but they want a shorter service. So yeah. an hour may be too long, especially when you have kids, like... You know, bringing a two-year-old into church is uh, you're, you're you're sweating the whole time. Yeah. Here's the Cheerios. Here's the yeah. toy. Here's I know. The I know they don't. I know they don't judge in these establishments, but you feel you're being judged because your kids like yelling and screaming and running around. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's see that's the challenge. That's that's the challenge I keep seeing is is how do you cater? How do you cater to, to all parties? But but keep 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 your values. But at the same token, we need we know we need to change. Like how and when. You know, do we do that? Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I think that's a really good point. And, and for anybody out there, I think that's a really good point that the next, you know, the next generation, you're going to change for them. Yeah. You know, you're not going to hand out the little paper flyers at church anymore. You're going to either send someone an email or there's going to be a social media post that someone's going to click on and say, oh, now I can go. This is how I'm going to get. I don't need, I don't want the piece of paper anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you stop printing the piece of paper, you're going to get a lot of complaints from the the crowd that's been going for a long time of, yeah. you didn't give me the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know what I, I also think is interesting too, right? So we're talking about how are these changing and how are we reaching different people. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of religious organizations, churches, podcasts. So, you know, while you might not be seeing a ton of people with their bodies in the seats, in the pews, how many people are actually engaging for those churches, their services and podcasts? Because you think about it generationally, generationally I think this millennial generation is really like yeah. almost podcast addicts, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm curious how many are engaging there, and you know, are the, are they tracking those analytics and seeing like, hey, our congregation is X, but tenfold, it's it's actually this. Yeah. Um, See, my church has a online live stream, so you could great. watch the whole thing online. So, I mean, I'd imagine a lot of the twenty-something year olds are probably in bed watching it <laughs> anybody that has kids yes like, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> this is so much easier <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Go you ahead, don't have Sally, to get them out of bed yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't help when they turn five and you're like all right we're gonna go to church they're gonna be like no tv time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no that but but i mean the challenge i see and i, I always divert directly to kind of like the numbers and sense of things if you have to keep doing new things but you have to keep doing the old things your costs are going to go up yeah. because you're going to not only you're going to invest in the technology to cater to the next generation, but you're going to keep paying for the things you were always paying for to keep the generation before them happy or to keep them engaged. Because if you if you upset one and not the other, or if you upset one in that process, well now you now you could be at zero, whereas you know you're trying to double it. So. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's a great rule of thumb for any nonprofit out there. I mean, how are you, you're going to have to 
spend that little extra or yeah. figure out and be a little creative. Uh, and I think, you know, to your point, Jay, social is great. You know, it's pretty much free. Yeah. So engaging those generations without having to put those extra dollars into all these you know, mm-hmm. different technologies and platforms, um, huge, huge way to reach your donors, for sure. Yeah, one, th- one thing we've been finding is, uh, you know, we've done some surveys internally um, with understanding, like, you know, how people give, why they give, what they do. And one of the things we found, which I thought was really interesting, is that uh, kind of like the next generation, call them millennial generation, um, you know, they may not have the resources because of student loan debt and everything going on to give, but they actually want to give time or they want to donate, you know, that time. And so if you think about that, you know, some of this as far as, you know, for the most part, people power is how you get things done. You know, yes, you have to pay for technology. Yes, you have to pay for things. Mm-hmm. But time is actually what makes things happen. And so it's how do you engage not only from a monetary perspective but from a volunteer perspective engaging people. So, you know, as your example, social media. Well, if you don't know how to run social media, well, maybe there's a youth out there that's really good at it that wants to volunteer their time and help your charity. Yeah. And that's, you know, just thinking out loud, that's one thing I just kind of thought of is, you know, let's probably find a kid who's like, oh, I don't have any money, but heck, I'll, I'll give you a couple hours a week and yeah, I'll get your platform off the ground. Yeah. And they'll do it better than we can. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no wizard with Instagram. I just post pictures of my kids, so. <laughs> yeah, I have seen a couple nonprofits that they have um, youth run their social media. Tell me, you know, a couple of the challenges running running an organization. I'm sure at a younger age you had a lot of that guidance and a lot of that help, but any challenges that you ran into then or that you're you're finding now, now that, you know, your time is limited, you're, you're the four of you, the mm-hmm. four souls are, are spread across the board. What is What are some of the things that you're facing right now? Um time since we're all working full-time the time factor is it's harder for us to meet together and actually plan these events so we'll have a date set we'll start planning it and then we really have to hop on calls and video skypes just to make sure that we keep planning it and that's our biggest thing is time and if we want to grow it more we're going to need a little, like, to put more time into it, and that's the biggest thing. Sure. Sure. But it's, I mean, it's nice that technology is giving you that avenue, right? Yeah. Without it, mm-hmm. I, bringing all of you from all these different locations, pulling you together, your sister's at school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's great. So have you seen, you know, I know that it, it's been growing a little bit. Have you been finding that, are you putting more time in as this growth happens, or are you kind of staying stagnant with the time and you're still seeing those numbers grow? in terms of engagement and donors and I think we're growing because like the pocketbook bingo and we have a um, a happy hour event in the city every year so we have events that people look forward to and they tell people about to come to the next year so we've been growing mainly off of that so it's word of mouth and people actually looking forward to the event so that that helps us a lot someone wants to get involved with four little souls um whether they have a few extra dollars to help out, whether they have some time, whether they want to donate items, how do they how do they get in touch with you? How do they find you? Um, we have a Facebook page, and our Instagram page is Four Little Souls Inc. Mm-hmm. And that's the number Four Little Souls Inc. And we're pretty active on there. We uh, respond quick. And if you guys want to help us out, you could give your time, donations, and we're happy for every little bit helps. Well, I want to thank you so much for sitting with us today. This was, uh, you know, really enlightening. And to see such 
a, a young, you know, vibrant gentleman getting involved in in the community and really making a difference and taking, you know, what you've seen and how your parents have shaped you and your morals have shaped you and your values have shaped you to now giving to others and just kind of bringing them, them into that that mindset is it's really inspirational. So I, I applaud you for your efforts. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Warriors. Thanks for tuning in. On the next episode of Civic Warriors, we'll talk with Eileen O'Donnell from Coming Home of Middlesex about creating and implementing a system to end homelessness. Make sure to subscribe to Civic Warriors, and thanks for all your support. Have a great day.